0: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert.
1: It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who have tuned in to watch today. We have those watching today for the first time. We want to thank you for tuning in. And we want to say we appreciate those who watch every time we come on the air. Thank you so much. Today we're going to be studying from an Old Testament text. We want to talk about man being in conference with God. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now, today on our telecast, we're continuing to offer free Bible correspondence course. And I'd like to emphasize that this course is free. We want everyone to have the opportunity to receive it. Now we want to pause for just a moment that you can learn more about the course and learn how to receive the free course. To
0: help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, Three six five eight zero, or call toll-free
1: 1-877-711-5214. I want to read now from the book of Isaiah. I'm going to be reading out of the first chapter of Isaiah. And I begin reading at verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. How do you feel as a parent when your children go counter to your wishes? Well, that's a source of grief, isn't it? When when you encourage your children to do a certain thing and they just go counter to whatever you want. God was, was grieved over the, the sin and the rebellion of His people. In the first chapter here, in the second verse, He said here, O heavens and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, yet they have rebelled against me. And then notice what he says in verse 3. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. So God was grieved over the rebellion of his people. And, and notice in verse 4, he said, "Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away backward. And then he asked this question, Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. God's people really rebelled. But in spite of the rebellion of His people, God was willing to work things out. And in the verses 4 through 6 that I've just read, God brought an indictment of it against His people. Guilty was the verdict from on high. They were guilty of rebelling against Him. They were guilty of forsaking God. They were guilty of despising God. They were guilty of total corruption. Why He said, from the head to the sole of the foot, there's no soundness in it. When God saw them, they were just one great big moral ulcer, one great spiritual sore. And because God, they had rejected God, God had rejected their worship. Notice in verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. And so they were uh, trying to worship God, but they were worshiping God out of rebellion to God. And their worship did not please Him. Listen to what God said about their prayers in verse 15. When you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. While they'd spread out their hands in prayer, bow down, but God says, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And God was weary of their ways. Notice in verse 14, He said, Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. You are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. So God brought this indictment against His people. But with the indictment, there came a call to repent. I want you to notice now verses 16 and 17. Because here shows the, God, the love of God outpoured, His mercy. Even though they rebelled against Him, they broke His heart, God said, "Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil from, of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. So they were where pur- they were to purge sin from their lives. They, they were to bring forth fruit that would be meet for repentance. That is, show they had repented. They were to put away evil. To put away all of the evil in their lives. Cease to do evil. And he says you need to learn to do well. You need to seek judgment. And he said you need to relieve those that are oppressed and in need. I, I suppose if there's any one thing that we could say that's needed in America... And in every country throughout the world, it is for men and women to purge sin from their lives. Listen to verse 16 one more time. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. God was calling on His people to repent. Now notice verse 18. Come now... And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now one of the things that this verse shows is that God is a highly reasonable God. Some people think God is unreasonable, but not so. God is a reasonable God. And Christianity is addressed a, a to man's intellect. There isn't anything unreasonable about the preaching of the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Acts the 24th chapter, Paul reasoned with Felix concerning righteousness and temperance and the judgment to come. And if an individual is reasonable, they can be converted to Christ, that this is God's Call of love. You see, God doesn't hate people. God loves people. Regardless of what they may think about God, God loves them. Well, someone says, you mean the man who would say he doesn't even believe in God? God loves that individual. Of course he does. God doesn't hate the man that says he doesn't believe in God. God loves that man. You see, God loves man in spite of his sin. And this verse shows that a forgiveness is available for all mankind. In Romans 5 and 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God is a reasonable God. And He's not an unreasonable God. And God is saying to the world today, Come and let us reason together. Let's reason together. You may be in sin, and you may be lost, but you can be as white as the new driven snow. I think this verse is showing us that God has provided for man's salvation. And God doesn't expect anything of mankind that's unreasonable. I don't know of anything that God expects of us that's an unreasonable thing. For example... We expect people to believe in us. Now let me ask you, what's unreasonable about that? Well, you say, well, Brother Lambert, there's not anything unreasonable about that. I I expect people to believe in me. Well, God expects us to believe in Him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of all of them that diligently seek him. So there's not anything unreasonable about God's expectation here. You cannot please God unless you have faith in God. I can't think of any reason an individual would not have faith in God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. There's evidence of God all around us. Wherever we look, there's the evidence of God. I read a story once about some men that were out on the desert one night and and they slept in a tent. And they got up the next morning and one of the men said there was a camel around our tent last night. Well, they said, how do you know there was a camel around the tent last night? said, his tracks are all around. He left evidence that he had been there. And when we look at the world, and when we look at the universe around us, God has left tracks everywhere he's been. There's evidence that God exists. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning." God created the heavens and the earth. And there's not a more logical explanation for everything that exists in our world and in the universe and beyond than Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God expects us to believe in Him. There's not anything unreasonable about that. You know, we we expect our friends to acknowledge us. Now, what is there unreasonable about that? So, suppose you're walking down the street one day, you and maybe another friend of yours, and you see someone walking towards you, and it's one of your best friends. And then when they get to you, they just walk on by as though you don't exist. How would you feel about that? You say, well, if it's my friend, I expect my friend to acknowledge my presence. I expect them to acknowledge my being there. And that's not unreasonable. Well, you see, God expects us to acknowledge His Son. That is, to believe in Him. He's always expected that. For example, in Acts 8th chapter, when when Philip the evangelist was teaching the man from Ethiopia, and he talked to him about Jesus, and they they went on their way. They came to a certain water, and this man from Ethiopia asked this, said, said, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And this is the confession the man made. He was acknowledging Christ. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And upon the confession of his faith in Christ as being God's Son, he was baptized in, for the remission of his sins. Let listen to Paul in Romans the tenth, chapter verse nine and verse ten. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For well, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so we must acknowledge Jesus Christ. Admit we believe in Jesus Christ. That's referred to in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 as a good confession. Where we confess Jesus Christ as being God's divine son. In Matthew 16 and 16, it was Peter who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou Simon bar Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. For flesh and blood is not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. He acknowledged Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. It was upon the Mount of Transfiguration. And there was Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and Elijah, and Jesus. And there was a voice out of heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Even the Father acknowledged Jesus as His Son. And after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were in a room, and there was Thomas, and Jesus came in. And when Thomas saw Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God. He acknowledged Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to tell people that you believe Jesus Christ to be the divine Son of God, that He's God's Son, that he is Savior and Lord. That's not an unreasonable request. Well, what about baptism? Is that unreasonable? Well, baptism is a, is a way that we show our faith in him. And, and if you tell your children to do something, don't, don't you really expect your children to do what you ask them to do? They're not question you. Not not try to change your request to meet their own desires. You know, the Bible says in 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, verse 22, that, that to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. We're to obey God. I don't know of anything that's unreasonable about the Lord's request that we acknowledge His Son and that we be baptized into him. Our Lord said it best, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's not an unreasonable request. But now suppose your child disobeys you. Well, what do you expect that child to do? Don't you expect your child to correct the mistakes that he or she has made? What's unreasonable about that? Not a thing. And God expects us to correct our mistakes as His children when we do wrong. That's why in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know of anything that's unreasonable about that because, you see, whatever I've done that's wrong is an offense to God. And I need to make it right with God. Sometimes I need to make things right with other people if I've offended them or I've hurt them or I've done wrong towards them. I might need to make it right with them as well. You see, God is a reasonable God. And there's not one single thing that God has ever required of man that's unreasonable. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And that verse shows that God wants man to be saved. But I want you to notice the divine promise now in Isaiah chapter 1, and that's in verses 19 and 20. He said if you are willing, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat of the good of the land. Now you see, there's the promise of reward to those that accept the Lord's terms by by obeying Him. Notice it again, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat of the good of the land. You see, God always has promised to bless people that put Him first in their lives. He's always promised to bless people who, who are willing to, out of love, obey Him. You know, Jesus said, If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments, John 14, 15. But now I want you to notice verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured By the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now God loves us. But God says, if you do what I ask you to do, you'll be blessed. If you don't, if you reject Him, there's a promise of punishment. You know, God loved us enough that He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for the sins of humanity I can't imagine that kind of love. I cannot begin to conceive of why God would love this sinful world so much that he would give my only son that he has to save it. Some of you have children. Some of you have sons. Would you give the life of your son, one of your sons, if you have more than one, just to save the human? lost people of this world? That'd be a difficult thing to decide. But that's exactly what God did. He gave His Son to save the world. And the only thing that God asks that we do is to obey Him. Now what's what's unreasonable about God asking us to do that? After all, that God has done for man. And if we would obey Him by rendering obedience to His will and living by His will, then there's the promise of reward. But what about those that do not do so? There's the promise of punishment. I I think of a passage now in the 25th chapter of Matthew, it's the last verse in that chapter, 46 verses in that chapter, and this is the last verse. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment for the righteous and the life eternal. But what we really want is that life eternal, isn't it? Eternal life. And that's what God has promised to those who accept His terms of pardon. God's terms of pardon are simple. They always have been. For example, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he wrote about the resurrection in the 15th chapter, 58 verses in that chapter, and almost every verse in that chapter is about the future resurrection. But in writing about that in the first four verses, he talks about Jesus and His resurrection. Not only His resurrection, he talks about His death and His burial and His resurrection. And he refers to the fact that He had preached the gospel to them and that they had obeyed the gospel and they were saved by the gospel He preached to them and he preached about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But question when those people obeyed that gospel and they were saved by that gospel, just what did they do? Well, now, how am I going to find the answer to that? I turn to the 18th chapter of Acts and we read about the beginning of the church in Corinth. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 8, the Bible says, Many of the Corinthians, hearing, number one, believed, number two, and were baptized, number three. There's one, two, three. This is how they obeyed the gospel. That's how they were uh, were saved by the gospel Paul preached to them. This was their response to the preaching about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. They heard that gospel that was preached. They believed that gospel that was preached, and they were baptized. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're trying to go into all the world with getting to know you by preach the gospel to every creature on earth today. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth one, is baptized two, shall be saved, number three. Just simple as one, two, three. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Jesus said, he that believeth, is baptized, shall be saved. That's how the people of Corinth were saved in obeying the gospel. Men today live in rebellion against God. But God's heart is broken because of that. But in spite of a broken heart, God says, I love you. I want you to be saved. Well, you have to do what I ask you to do. Are we willing to do it? I believe there are people watching right now who are. I want to thank you for watching today. And may I pause long enough to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. Also right now, without delay, pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible correspondence course. Do that right now. There are people waiting to get your name and address and even your telephone number. And we need that so that if the lesson comes back to us undeliverable, we'll be able to get the right address. We want you to call right now, and I want you to know that we love you, and we want you to know the truth of God. I want to thank you for watching today. Till we meet again, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. Being at Faulkner is like being a part of a big family. I feel safe here. It seems like I know everybody, and even my professors know me by name. My faith in Christ has grown a lot since coming to Faulkner especially working with this outstanding Bible department and seeing the general Christian lives of all the professors on campus. Faulkner University is a growing, academically strong institution where Christ is the center of everything we do. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you.